Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's guest is the only player to be drafted in the first round by two major league sports. He is an NBA champion and a college basketball head coach, and he was a member of the 1998 Chicago Bulls. You saw him in the last dance, and he's coming right up. Well, first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Scott Burrell is a Hamden, Connecticut native who played college ball for the great Jim Calhoun at UConn. He was also a pitcher who was selected in the first round of the MLB draft by Seattle and also taken by Charlotte in the first round of the NBA draft. His NBA career lasted eight seasons and he played five more for various teams in the USA and internationally. He was a member of the 1998 NBA champion Chicago Bulls and was featured prominently in the last dance with his teammate Michael Jordan. He is currently the head basketball coach at Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven. Scott, welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Um, Monica, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, we're so appreciative of your time. There's so much for us to get into. Mm-hmm. We got to talk last dance. We got to talk a little bit of UConn. Of course, we have to talk about your role as a head coach now. But um, when someone looks at you, Scott, you are a tall black man. And there's yes. a ton of things happening in our country right now. The um, headlines are troubling. Um, something that we've seen to see in our country over and over again, just in general, for you as a father, husband, leader, how are you sort of encouraging your young men? Well, you just, you got to first tell them that there's people that don't like you because of your color or other people's religion. But the first thing they see is color. And um, you, you just, you got to be a good person no matter what they think, what they say. Or just be good for your family name and whatever you do out there in life, try to make it better for yourself and others. Um, and now when I, with, with that being said, you don't have to pl- try to please everyone, but just be a good person, be kind. Um, I, I think we've, we forgot about humanity in, in life nowadays and, and kindness and, and, and respect. Um, and I think it's, it starts from leadership of this country, uh, the way we talk to people people are getting to think that's normal to disrespect people and, and, and have a say about people. You, you can still disagree with people without belittling people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about dominating. It's all about keeping people, um, uh, trying to keep, try to keep people below you. And, and that's not the way it is. Uh, like we're, we're all human beings trying to survive, trying to make the best of every opportunity we have. And it's just sad that some people are, uh, are, are just negative people and bad people out there. Yeah, it's it's certainly tough. I think that's well said. I think if we all take our individual names, um, 
on with pride and want to represent character, then we do our best to move forward. Now, yes. there's actually no lighthearted way to transition from all of that. But in this moment, I do want us to find a little bit of a reprieve as we reflect on your illustrious career as an athlete. So we catch you on this pod, Scott, because of the last dance. You've been mm -hmm. doing tons of interviews because of the last dance. Yeah. Uh, you but, this is, but this is the best one. Oh, there you see, I like you already. <laughs> um, you became sort of synonymous with a anti-bullying campaign, at least according to folks on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But when you look back at your relationship with MJ, what might have been misconstrued uh, from people just watching? What becoming a champion? All right, you have to look at it this way. There's very few people that are champions or could say they won the last game or to say they're the best. How can somebody who hasn't done it or learned or put, been in that situation say it's bullying? Um, I think we all know what bullying is. Bullying is, I would say what Michael Jordan did to me, it's pushing the envelope to be great, pushing me to be better, a better player, a more focused player, um, a mentally tougher player, because he knows he has the blueprint of greatness, not just for himself, but people around him. And I needed to learn it. I needed to fit in. And, and I loved it. Uh, and I, I love the challenge of, of uh, him pushing me every day. So like, and like I said, people love negativity. People pile on top of something, especially Twitter and stuff. It's, it's people without a face and they just throw name, words out there that have no clue about me, no clue about Michael, no clue what it, what it takes to be the best. And MJ has that and he knows what it takes. Okay, so my one follow-up on that though, Scott, mm -hmm. in the moment, did you have the perspective you have now? Because in the moment, it seemed like it was pretty rough. No, it really wasn't rough. I mean, I, my, 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 I hope your parents were a little rougher than what MJ was. Um, maybe not use the same words, but my parents were tougher. I, I think Coach Calhoun was tougher. I don't mind that it was people saw it on TV. It doesn't hurt my feelings that people saw the things that MJ said to me. He was tough on everyone. But if you want to be the champ, you want to be the best team, want to be part of the best team, you want to learn how to fit in with the best team, hey, that's part of it. Um, I... I uh, I welcome the challenge. And like I said, if you're an athlete and you can't accept criticism, you can't accept, wait, not just criticism, criticism from the best player to ever play and the best team to ever play together, then you have some serious issues. Not me, <laughs> not Michael. They do, I think. Hey, Scott, this is Bruce. You mentioned Coach Calhoun a, a moment ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I live in Connecticut. And actually, my wife is a Southern uh, grad. She okay. went there a number of years ago. But yes. but Coach Calhoun, I mean, I've, I've seen Coach Calhoun for years and years and years. And I mean, he could dish it out like few people I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. was, was, was his training or, or what you dealt with under Coach Calhoun, did that make it a lot easier for you to deal with somebody like MJ? Oh yeah, that, that's obviously yeah, definitely. I mean, coach was, coach was hard, hard knocks. I mean, he was he was he he brought it to you and came at you and 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 pushed you to your limits. Um, but that's what made us Big East champs. And 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 it's it's funny like, uh, um, like we were picked last in the Big East, end up coming first. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens by pushing kids who are not all Americans, but guys who buy into what the coach is selling. And we did a great job of doing that. And we found the uh, the winning winning re remedy uh, basically, and uh, and the number one is having having a great leader and coach Calhoun and and pushing us to be great. Mm. You just you just had greatness in you, Scott, huh? Just, no, no, all no, the way. no, no. <laughs> I, we all have goodness in us. Good, greatness needs to be brought out. 
All right. So then what part over the course of your career, of your basketball career, because you obviously were a terrific baseball pitcher as well, Mm -hmm. but like, was there a turning moment, I guess is what I'm asking you, because you're right. There's plenty of goodness in all of us. You obviously were someone that was naturally talented. You aligned Mm -hmm. with these coaches and strong players that were able to take your game to even the next level. Mm -hmm. Do you remember as an athlete, a a turning point in in terms of you deciding to take this thing seriously? Uh, I I always say seriously, but you don't know what it takes to be a champion until you play with champions. Like if you're, if you're like everybody who plays in professional sports is probably the best player in this team, best player in their college. Well, for me, I wasn't even the best player in my college ever. So, I mean, I, I took it serious all along, but I got the most of, out of I could in basketball. I think I was better in baseball because I, I was more talented in baseball. Basketball, I took a, a step back because I never played all year round like most of the guys played. Um, and and it just, I love the challenge of trying to catch up to people. Um, it just, like I said, I just, me competing against uh, other people on the court brought out something that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, the competitiveness, the the toughness. And like I said, you get to the next level, you're doing well right off the bat. I was averaging 13 one year, 11 another year. Injuries hurt me in every each year, each of my year in the years in the NBA. But then you understand, you're not even close to where you got to be mentally to be great or to be a great team player or a great role player. And I, I was, it was fun to, to learn that. Mm-hmm. In the show, you really seem to kind of take some of what Michael said in stride, which mm-hmm. I really respected the fact that, you know, you you handled things the way you did. Mm-hmm. However, right, mm-hmm. you were a really good baseball pitcher. Mm-hmm. Did you ever say to Michael off camera where we couldn't see it, like, <laughs> hey, Mike, um, how about we go to the batting cage and I'll throw you a little bit of above the belt heat and see what <laughs> you can do with it? Have you, did you ever either do it or want to do it? No. No. You got You guys know this too. The man who has all the power and the biggest pulpit, you just let it go. You just let him come at you. Eventually, he's going to get tired and wear down. So don't stir the pot at all. Just let it wear down and just let it go like the breeze, let it, like tumbleweed. Let it blow by. <laughs> no, I didn't bring up anything else besides my job with basketball and, and, and whatever it took to be, uh, be successful. But you were a better pitcher than he was a hitter, weren't you? Well, I mean, I would, I, I think I am, but we never face each other. And like I said, <laughs> like I tell people, if we ever did, he wouldn't get a chance to hit the ball. So <laughs> that's hilarious. There you right. go. So the documentary comes out, guy, and there's a ton of think pieces and historical reviews and this, that, and the other. Um, how, how have you kind of taken all of that in? I mean, obviously, the stories history gets told by the victors, and you guys mm-hmm. were the victors. Yeah, uh, I, I just, I, I loved to, to see the recap of, of, of that year. I mean, people don't understand how great the, the family orientation, the family makeup of that team was. It was, it was guys who loved competing with each other. No, like Dennis had his issues that when he took some days off, but guys didn't care because we knew Dennis was, was going to come back and do his job. And Phil handled them perfectly. And, and Phil might have been the only person that could have done it. And obviously, Michael has a lot to do with that because Michael's the, the strong arm on that team. But it was the dynamics of that team was unlike no other. Guys competed with each other. They weren't worried about uh, what Scotty's worried about his contract with management, but he never brought that to the court, uh, when, especially when he came back. So I just love the dynamics of that team, that one goal championship, uh, go out and compete your best every day. That's fantastic. 
Oh God, it's it's so great. And Bruce has tons of questions for you, Scott, because he's a Connecticut guy. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Everybody remembers the Grant Hill to Christian Leitner baseball pass in 1992 mm-hmm. when Duke beat Kentucky. Mm-hmm. However, those of us in Connecticut remember a similar play two years earlier when you threw a baseball pass to Tate George for mm-hmm. a game-winning shot in the last second against Wake Forest. Did you and G Hill ever have a conversation about whose pass was tougher? No, 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 no. We, we never did. Um, I, I think they got more credit for their play because those two big-time schools going against going, uh, playing against each other. Like we are the new guns on on the on, on the block, the young guys on the block. So nobody really knew of UConn until that year, uh, nationally, I should say. And Clemson wasn't the same Kentucky; didn't have the same Kentucky. Uh, ring to it so duke and kentucky are definitely gonna have a a bigger bang to it and that's why it's i think talked about more but i think leitner's shot against us was was pretty was pretty more it was pretty uh more impressive than that kentucky one i'm just wondering why leitner didn't get thrown out the game for stepping on my man's chest right oh, i mean uh... maybe it has something to do with today <laughs> oh boy is that like duke is that like duke privilege <laughs> Well, we know they get a lot of a lot of privilege, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, so when you hopped on the MSG 150 with me, Scott, you and yeah. John Wallace, who's my guy, I love John Wallace, you guys got a chance to chop it up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when you look back at your college time, because I'm an old Big East configuration girl, mm-hmm. I guess even when I had the Big East, it probably wasn't the, quite the same configuration that you played in. Uh-huh. Um, but when you look back at Connecticut, what stands out the most from being coached by Coach Calhoun? changing that program around recruiting players that like when I first got, there was no all Americans. I mean, Chris Smith was our best player. I don't think he was made not like a McDonald's all American, but he became a college all American. But I think just recruiting guys that have uh, compassion, that that have passion to be great and passion to compete. And I, I just remember playing great defense, locking teams up and dominating them on the defensive end. Cause like we didn't have any great scores. Uh, Chris Smith was a great scorer. Tate George is okay scorer. Nadolf Hennefeld as a freshman was okay scorer. But we just locked teams up on defense. And to see teams wilt under pressure was was fun for us. And I think we we um we kind of salivated off that I could say. And uh, it was just fun to see our com- competitive drive will over will overtake people and in their will during the game. So you blossom under Calhoun. You, yes. You're a- you're just growing and growing. Did you have, did you expect to go pro coming into college? No, not at all. Because number one, I, I never really thought I was that good in basketball. I love to compete, and I knew I was a competitor, but I didn't know if I was good enough to play in the NBA. Um, but then Coach Cowan would tell me, like Chris Smith was getting scouted by other teams. He said, you know, someone this team asked about you, that team asked about you, you're getting looks. So as I got older, I knew I had a chance. But you still don't know if it's really going to happen. Okay, so then it happens. Yes. What did you, what did, like, take me to your draft night? Well, it was in Detroit, and the Pistons were, were like, and they had t- picks 11, 10 and 11. And they're like, yeah, you should come to the draft, come to the draft. Uh, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to be there, because I can recall when another UConn great, Cliff Robinson, was mm-hmm. at, at the draft that night, and he didn't get drafted until late in the second round. And you don't want to be that person in the room. And obviously, Cliff had a great career in the NBA, 
but you just don't want to be in that room and put in a situation where you're the only one sitting there or they're talking about you should be the next pick, but you're not the next pick. So I just watched it from home with my family. Um, it's nerve wracking. I mean, you, you want to go in the first round, obviously, and you're, you're 20 picks, 19 picks down and the 20th pick, the Charlotte Hornets come up and, and they say, you know, they call your name and it's, you're happy because it's a great young team. Um, you're playing with some studs, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson, Kendall Gill, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry. I mean, you had a great young team and you're excited about your opportunity and cl- to stay close to somewhat close to home. Did you know Zell from the Big East competition or were y'all in college around the same time? Oh, yeah, we used to battle, yeah. Because he's one year ahead of me. We used to battle. Georgetown was always dirty. They're trying to hurt people and stuff. Dirty? Scott, you're not a alma mater. Wait a minute. They were dirty. Hey, Mo, they were dirty. But you know what? There was nothing wrong with that because that's the way it was back in the day. You had to play tough and dirty. But it was fun. I mean, Georgetown was always really competitive. They, I don't think they won a Big East when I was there, but they were always competitive. <laughs> Um, you know, you are, you are a pro at getting these little digs in. I, get <laughs> I just, sometimes you just got to finish the sentence. I apologize. I finish it in a different way. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So you become a rookie. Does that mean that you were the guy sort of of the Russell Westbrook mindset where he's talked about, you know, I didn't dream that any of this was going to happen. So he operates with a different sense of gratitude. I mean, how do you go about navigating a world that you never saw yourself in? Obviously you're, you're, you're nervous. Um, and you got to learn a lot. Uh, I can recall my first practice, one of my first practices, and Eddie Johnson, he was like 38 years old at the time, and I'm 22, think I'm energetic, think I'm pretty good, but he put, gives me a lesson, and he goes over to the water jug and goes, ba-ding, ba-ding, class dismissed, and the whole team starts laughing, and I was like, yeah, he just put me to, brought me to school, and that was, that was a workout he just gave me, and then my first regular season game was against Dominique Wilkins, and Dominique just, oh. I had like six fouls in like three minutes. I was embarrassed. And, and you just, but those are great days that you learn and, and learn how to play the NBA game and learn how to guard people. And you go back to watch a film. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Film, film becomes so important. All right. So another, so you're with Charlotte. Um, you, it, let's go back to 98. We're fast forward into 98. You end up a bull. Phil Jackson, you talked about him in terms of managing Dennis. To me, he was the other person that stood out in the last dance, just as far as leadership goes. Were you kind of like, what's with this dude when you get to Chicago? Or by then you already know that he's a championship caliber coach? You, you already know he's a ca- championship caliber, caliber coach. But you know what? You don't know anything about the Bulls. Like, all you know is they're a great team that compete. And when you get there, you're like, you've never talked to Phil. Um, I might have talked to Phil one time when the trade happened. And you're like, he's so laid back. You're like, all right, when's he explode? Or when does he get angry? But he never does. He, learned, he knows how to talk to guys. He has other guys who, who will push the envelope with other players that will push the envelope with each other, which is great for coaches because now you don't have to worry about that. You, all you got to do is worry about coaching, handling personalities, and X's and O's. So he was unbelievable at doing all those together. Um, it, it was a perfect situation for him, Michael, for the team. Um, but you could just talk to Phil, laid back, down to earth, funny, um, just and spiritual, but just a great guy to play for and a great, great guy to talk to. Scott, a few weeks ago, we had uh, on this show together uh, Mark Jones, who's a play-by-play guy. I'm sure mm-hmm. you know who he is. Yeah, yeah. He's at ABC. And he is good and longtime friends with Ron Harper, mm-hmm. who was your teammate, you know, uh, you know, in, in that 98 season. Mm-hmm. And he was he told us a story. And I don't know. He didn't say what year it was. So I'm not sure if you were on the team at this yeah. point. But he I told a story. Please, I hope not. <laughs> 
it was actually a really good story. Anyway, okay. it, it was like it was like harp strikes back type of a thing. But anyway, uh-huh. so Michael was supposedly on the bus, and he, you know, Ron, as you know, at the time had a speech impediment and wasn't always able to articulate his words very well. Yeah. So I guess Michael was just killing him one day on the bus, and and Ron stood up and said something to Michael. Do you remember that story? Or yeah, I wasn't the on the team that year. Yeah. Did you, did you ever hear the story? No, no, I never heard it. No. All right. Well, I guess I got. I guess I got to tell the story then, right? Just yeah, so yeah. That, that people listening will be like, "Well, okay, that was a dud of a question." But <laughs> apparently, the the story was. Harp stands up and you'll and you'll understand this because it's a baseball story. Mm-hmm. And Harp stands up and looks at Michael and all the players on the bus like like their mouths are open and they're looking at it. So yeah. Harp flashes like three fingers up, one finger down like a catcher. Yeah. Three fingers up, one finger down. And Harp says to MJ, do you know what that is? And MJ is like, no, Harp. He's there. Curveball down and in and you could never hit it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if that's a if that's a true story, that's a great line by heart. That's a great line. <laughs> that's well thought out right there. Right. Well, I mean, how, all summer, all summer you thought about that one too. That's that a good one. <laughs> all right. Anyway, sorry you weren't there for that. It sounded like it was a no. good story. <laughs> but it was a good story. That is a good story, though. <laughs> all right. So um Scott, you've just got all this experience. You've got all these all these wins. Are there any stories that you care to share from the 98 season that did not make it into the documentary? Um, I, I told a one-on-one story a few times, and maybe people might have read that one. Uh, you know what? How about this? Let me explain one scenario in the documentary so people don't think Please. I would just... The, the play where he stood behind me and was, wait, was waiting for me to do something. Do you remember that play? Yes, yes, yes. Well, people don't understand. It was the first week of the, the first couple of days of practice. And I was trying to learn the offense. So when two guys cut, one went baseline, one went to wing, I don't know the rest of the offense. So I'm like, where's the next guy coming from? So it wasn't like I was waiting for a double team. It wasn't like I didn't know, I, I, I was afraid to score. I was just trying to learn the offense. I'm not worried about scoring as soon as I get there. Get there. I'm worried about learning the offense. And once, once I realized the shot clock's running down and no one else is coming to my side of the court, now I got to do something. And obviously MJ was going to block it. But he, if you looked at the play, he followed me. Obviously, they're not going to call foul, but he <laughs> hacked my arm up. I was bleeding probably, had a concussion, but they let it go. That, we appreciate that context because, again, <laughs> those moments that folks were like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was true. Because I, I, I was embarrassed about that play, but you know what? That's part of, part of playing. All right, so here's the real question that the folks need to know now. If yeah. you were to call up MJ, could you get a deal or could he hook you up with any retros, any J's that you want? Do you even wear J's? Oh, I wear J's, yeah. I wear all, all my shoes are J's. 90% of them are, yeah. Um, I, would, I, would call, I wouldn't call MJ. I would call the guy who designed it for MJ, for, for the uh, shoes. Nice. Yeah. So you, you ever are plugged. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I just made a call for my golf shoes this summer to my man. So I'll Listen, as we develop our friendship, I wear a men's size 10. Just, you know, <laughs> just keep that in mind. Okay. See, the <laughs> problem is I can only get my, see, I don't want to abuse the privilege. So I only tell them my size. Dang, you know so how I, we do. I apologize. <laughs> as soon as you find a plug, you always be trying to take advantage of it. All right, so oh, yeah. present day, um, you've had a terrific career. You're now um, head coach of Southern Connecticut State. I mean, this climate, Scott, in terms of recruiting, are your players on campus? Like, what is navigating a pandemic as a head coach even look like? It's tough because um, I think kids are fragile nowadays and not being able to see them face to face and 
hug them, talk to them, um, just have them sit down in front of you, talk about the pandemic, talk about the family life, talk about academics. You you get worried about them, um, and uh, but you call them, you, you FaceTime them, you make sure they're okay, you tell them how good they did in school. We had a great GPA this summer in school. I mean this year in school. So you you talk about that stuff, and, and I don't bring up the documentary at all because I don't want them thinking I'm pushing Jordan or pushing myself on them. If they want to talk about it, I'll gladly talk about it. But but if they do talk about it, I'm, I'm going to ask them, why was Michael great? And what's the blueprint of being great? So now they know it. Are they going to, what are they going to do about it? Are they going to try to be great? Or are they going to try to be average? So a lot of times they won't bring up the documentary. <laughs> Scott, I was, I was looking at your roster and I was very pleased to see you have a guy from my hometown of Brockton, Massachusetts on your team. I believe uh, Ole Coleman. Yeah, Yulin Coleman. Yep. Yulin Coleman. Yep. Yeah. Great player. So your guys, in addition to being successful on the court, have been extremely successful in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So what do you look for in young guys when you're recruiting them other than, say, basketball skills? You want them. To, you want a kid that can do college work. Or if you know what, if he struggles a little bit, if he's self-motivated motivated to still be great on the court and in, in, the, and in the classroom. Because if you get a guy that's lazy in the classroom, that's not changing. And you don't want a guy, you have to make sure he goes to class every day. You don't have to make sure he's doing his homework every day. That gets old. Your job is to coach basketball, make these uh, young men grow to, to men when they leave college and, and prepare themselves for the future. And if you have to babysit someone every day, that gets old and it's not fun. Fun is, fun is growth uh, of someone that's self-motivated, but that becomes even better and tries to be great. Uh, did you see yourself becoming a coach, Scott? I did, because my father coached at Yale, coached high school in New, high school in New Haven. So I've been around sports. My my brother played at UConn. My sister ran track at Yale. So I've been around sports. My mom played softball. I've been around sports my whole life. And I knew I wanted to stay involved. I didn't know where at what point, but coaching was what I thought was the next step that I can get involved in and, and enjoy uh, making uh, making people's lives better. Do you understand, like, what's the biggest, obviously the playing part, but I've heard playing is fun. You, you're competing. We lose a game, go to sleep, just to prepare for the next game versus mm -hmm. coaches are incessant and you don't sleep after losses and you're always preparing. Have you found that to be true now that you're on the other side? So true. Like sometimes you're, you're like, yeah, number one, you can't go out there and when you see something happening, you have maybe a little more IQ than your players do and you want to do it for them. But obviously you can't. It's 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 all preparation of what you 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 prepare them for during the games. But like it 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 kills you when you when you lose a game or when you don't like. I don't mind losing though, as long as we play well, because you can't win every game. And no matter some things go, uh, don't go don't, don't always go your way. But if you're prepared and you play well and you lose, you accept it. But you just got to learn from it. I hope I, I I try to learn from every every practice, every game. I learn from other coaches too. I go to watch other coaches play. But it just it drives you crazy when you lose and you don't perform well. Like, what do we have to do now? What do we have to do in practice? Who's the problem? What's the problem? And it just it's a cycle that just never ends. Excuse me, when you lose. So hopefully we don't lose too many games anymore. All right. So at zero is mm -hmm. Jim Calhoun. At mm -hmm. ten is Phil Jackson. Where are you on the scale of coaching Zen versus intensity? I can never say I'm at Zen. I could always I can never say that. That's that's a low heart rate. And I, I can never have a low heart rate like Phil. Um, I'm at a, I try to talk to my players like Phil does um, and, and get them to open up. I would say I'm at a, what, Calhoun, Coach Calhoun's at zero, you said? Or, or yeah, Phil's at zero. zero. He's our base. He's our classic. All right. I'm at, 
I'm at a four because I'm closer to Coach Calhoun. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, we'll take it. I mean, I feel like two might have been real dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> at two, the president's calling me right now. Right, me we, need to talk, we need to talk about, about some things, Scott. For sure. <laughs> take that for. All right, Scott, well, we're going to get you out of here. But here on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we typically end our show asking our guests for one of those three things. But I'm asking folks to kind of dig a little deep in the middle of the pandemic. And so I'm going to give you the definition of a bucket. And I want you to find a bucket for me in the midst of all we've got going on. A bucket is the A++ thing. It's mm -hmm. something that you want more of. In this instance, it's obviously something that has been a silver lining as our country is dealing with a challenging time. But something mm -hmm. that you are enjoying about the pandemic. Yep. Something that I'm already what? Something that you're enjoying in the midst of the pandemic. Being able to spend time with my wife and kids. Because I mm -hmm. never would have spent this much time with my kids and, and my wife and, and just join everything we have every day. Being blessed that we have a job still. Being blessed to 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 look at watch look at my kids and watch them smile every day and they're young. I have a two year old and a four year old and it's fun to see them wake up every morning and, and smile and 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 be a pain in the butt a lot of times. But it's you enjoy that as a parent. And I waited a long time to have kids, but I I cherish every moment with them. We love that. We love that. Thank well, you. Scott Burrell, thank you for your time, my friend. We obviously wish you the best with uh, the squad this year when things resume. And of course, stay safe. Thank you, and you guys be safe too. And thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. That was dope. Thanks, Scott. I love how candid and honest he is. Um, I want to take a minute in Buckets, Boards, and Blocks to run it back to how we opened the conversation with Scott. We would be remiss, Bruce and I, if we didn't address all that's going on in society. For me, as a Black woman, it, hit home, it hits home for Bruce as a compassionate human being who is well aware of his privilege and so many other aspects of that conversation, like it just hits home on a human level. Um, to tie it all back to sports, Bruce, I applaud so many athletes, and we're talking basketball, particularly NBA players, who are literally walking the streets, organizing, march, organizing marches, lending their voice to a cause. And this isn't just Black NBA players. Enos Cantor, super tall, in the middle of the mix up in Boston, representing. And I think if I had to say something positive, right, a board that's sort of coming out of all these protests, I am proud to see the level of diversity and high profile athletes using their platform and folks that don't look like those black people that are being murdered by police in the fight alongside them. One of the things that I feel good, I guess good is in quotation marks, I suppose, about is the leadership that we've seen from people in the sports world, and it began long before the current sort of crisis. Uh, we talked a little bit about Jalen Brown, drove 15 hours from Boston down to Atlanta to participate in a peaceful demonstration. Um, another Jalen, who's a little bit older than Jalen Brown, Jalen Rose, who I've known for many, many years, is another example of leadership. In fact, he started his own charter school in Detroit called the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. He lined up people to make donations. He puts a ton of his own money into it. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, uh, LeBron James, who you know how much I admire LeBron James, both on and off the court. So next time you hear somebody on a national cable channel say, you know, these guys should shut up and dribble. It's like, you know what? You shut up. These guys are showing a lot more leadership than you. That, you know, that that's it, Bruce, right? And I know 
this conversation, literally the disruption we're seeing across the country makes so many folks uncomfortable. And I, by no means, am condoning violence, vandalism, rioting. But as we folks seem to be using Martin Luther King's speech as a catalog to pick which quotes fit them, I do think the quote in which he also does not condone riots, but he talks about violence being the language of the unheard. Um, what we're saying now is a boiling point. Unfortunately, it doesn't just represent George Floyd. It's not about one man. It represents so many others. Um, so what I am proud of, like I said, is the diversity of people that are willing to stand in the fight. I'm proud of being able to have this conversation with you and so many like you that are in my circle that I get an opportunity to work with. But I would say if we had to take something from sports, it's that team mentality. And I want people to understand that when they're cheering for their favorite team, particularly in the NFL or the NBA, that is largely comprised of black men. They are not just athletes, like you said. Like They're not going to shut up and dribble. This stuff matters to them. And if they matter to you, then this stuff has to matter to you. It should be a trickle-down effect. It's like I said when, when, we, when we did you know, Mike Wise's show a couple days ago together. Um, everybody talks about race, but you know what? There's one race that we're all a part of, and that's the human race. And that's what we need to remember. I mean, we should celebrate our differences and celebrate things that are, make us unique uh, we should want to be around people that are different than ourselves, but at the same time, and 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 you know this as, as much as anybody, in striving for acceptance, sometimes you need the comfort of people that are like you, but we shouldn't just limit ourselves to that, and we should all, you know, try and make this world better for all of us. I mean, I have kids, I hope someday to have grandkids, and on and on and on, and I want them to live in a world where everybody can celebrate their differences, but also realize that we have a lot more in common than we have differences. And it would be nice to focus on some of those things. Yeah, I, I agree, Bruce. I think that's well said. If I had to put a button on this thing, my request, my ask as a Black person in this country would just be respect, literal respect. Respect me like I'm whoever, like just we're equal. We should be all respected as human beings we should be celebrated for the things that make us different. But like you said, we should be united by the things that make us all similar, that we all have blood running through our bodies and have hearts. And then we bleed for people that we love. We care about people. Just just respect. And, and I know like it just seems like such a high mountain to climb. But if we can truly start with sincere respect for one another, um, then we can begin to make some progress forward. I read a tweet that you put out on Monday where you were sort of talking about this a little bit and you say, you know what? And and you didn't, you know, you, you said next time you hear somebody, you know, make a racist joke, don't let it go. You know, may, if, if you have a problem with it or cause you know, it's wrong, say something, you know, don't, don't accept that because that's how, you know, step-by-step step we're going to improve things. Uh, if we just kind of say, oh, you know, that's just what they say in the South or that's what they say somewhere. It's like not good enough, not good enough anymore. And really, um, respect is the word, you know. You don't have to love everybody, but sure. you should respect people that are different and the same and whatever. I mean, respect, that's really the, the kind of foundation of everything is just respect for one another as human beings, uh, you know, part of part of our society and you know guess what we, you know we're all in this together yeah we, we end a lot of our shows that way because we talk about you know getting through this pandemic 
We're all in this together. And the sooner we all realize it and internalize it, the better off our society will be. 100%. Well said, Bruce. Um, If any of our listeners are involved in protest, if you are doing it the right way, I certainly applaud you. I encourage you um, to be safe or I'm definitely sending up prayers on behalf of that. And of course, you know me, you got to pray for our leadership because the decisions have to be made from the top. Right now, (laughs) the highest office in the land, Bruce, that's a conversation for another day. We're not going to touch that. Um, We had a great podcast with Scott Burrell, my guy, and my co-host, Bruce Bernstein. Um, We're going to smile. We're going to smile. We're going to get through this, the pandemic. We're going to get through um, these other issues facing our country as well. I hope folks don't feel that all hope is lost. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Scott Burrell. We wish him continued success as head coach of the basketball team at Southern Connecticut State University. Thanks also to my producer, loyal sidekick, friend, and co-host, Bruce Bernstein, to our terrific editor, Ben Wolfen, who makes us all sound good. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show featured yours truly, talking about our current societal problems and how they can hopefully be addressed in a positive way. That was a really dope conversation with Mike, guys. I hope you'll have time to check it out. Uh, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams have a new show each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is back on Wednesday, looking ahead to what's next in the NBA. Cross our fingers that the NBA actually returns. BJ Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And I'm back next Thursday with a brand new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks from Pure Hoops Media. Please remember, whew, man, in times like these, definitely please remember to pray for all of the nurses, doctors, and other frontline workers keeping our society going during these tough times. We owe them all a great debt. Continue to follow social distancing guidelines, wash your hands, and wear that mask to protect yourself and others. And please say a few prayers for our fellow citizens of all races and religions who are working for a more just society and going about it the right way. Um, definitely pray for our leadership that changes can be made at top at the top as well, guys. If you like buckets, boards, and blocks, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave a five-star rating because that would mean so much to me, and I personally would thank you. Until we meet again, guys, wherever you can find them, be safe and enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 